Thank you, Dave. If you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter, tonight's text as I'm sharing the word today, uh, Good Friday, is from 1 Peter 2.24, but I'm going to read from verse 17. So 1 Peter chapter 2 from verse 17 to 25. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray as we come to your word on this Good Friday that you would sow seed inside of us, Lord, that would grow and bear fruit unto righteousness. Lord, we pray that our eyes be fixed, not on our own performance as Christians, but on you and on the cross as the source of strength for our faith tonight. We honor and glory in the cross. We honor and glory in all that you accomplished, Lord Jesus, and we look back to it today. We want to just catch some of the glory of that wonderful event in your word tonight, Lord God. We know that in our feeble uh, souls, Lord, we can't ever fully grasp the incredible things that you've done, but Lord, we, we might just light on a few things tonight that give us reason to be praised. Uh, reason to give praise, Lord God. So we pray we would see the cross for all that it is in your grace tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I've always had a fascination, as a, even as a child, with historical events. I remember as a, a young boy in, in primary school, I was given a project to do uh, on World War I. And I wasn't particularly academic at school, but this project just, it just caught something in me, caught my passion. And I wrote a huge project, about that thick, even just as a young kid on World War I. You remember that, Mum. Uh, I had a fascination with World War I, although it's, it felt very distant from me uh, growing up as a boy. I felt kind of removed from the events that I was watching um, on documentaries. But something about it fascinated me. I felt the same about World War II. I remember as a young kid, again, I can't have been more than... 10, 9 or 10, but I used to love a documentary called The World at War, uh, which was narrated by, was it Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier? It was one of my favourite things to watch. And again, the, the events that transpired in World War II fascinated me 
as a young boy. But again, I felt very far removed from them. But nonetheless, they were, they were of interest. They were intriguing to me. And I felt somehow that the world had been shaped uh, by what happened all those years ago. And now, of course, we look back. And as an older man, I see that, to be honest, those events weren't too far removed from my lifetime at all. I also have a vivid memory of the events of September 11th, 2001. I remember where I was. I was sat in a music lesson over at St. Edmund's School where I was doing sixth form. And I vividly remember my music teacher coming in and saying, two planes have just hit the World Trade Center. I didn't even know what the World Trade Center was at that point. And I was imagining pictures of a Cessna jet flying into a building by accident. I had no idea what was going on. I remember walking outside. I remember the weather. It was a beautiful day. Do you remember that afternoon? Uh, hazy sunshine. It was balmy. It was warm. And I remember vividly going home uh, and seeing the events on the TV screen unfold. I just remember it like yesterday. And these events that I've described, World War I, World War II, uh, and of course 9-11, they're, they're known globally. They're known globally. They are worldwide events. And they have impacted millions and millions of lives. Even though personally I wasn't impacted by those events necessarily, we've been shaped by them in some ways, haven't we? Even in this nation, I sent a link out to a video in the church WhatsApp earlier on, a video of an interview of a British historian called Tom Holland, who wrote a book called Dominion. And he, in that book, talks about how his worldview, he's not a Christian, I think he's an atheist or an agnostic at the least, but he talks about how life in this country is so infused with Christianity that we kind of don't even realize it. Like we have a moral code and a moral system that really is the remnant of Christianity. And I just think that's amazing. It's like he talks about it like we're living in a goldfish bowl. And the fish doesn't know that it's in water. It's just living its life. But it's living its life inside of this bowl. And this water that it's tasting is flavored by the events that have gone on before it. It doesn't realize that. And that's kind of like how we are in this country. We're impacted by many historical events, some of which we're not even aware of. And this historical event we're talking about today, Good Friday, is the greatest historical event that has ever taken place. But I would say to you this, even though I was impacted greatly by those events I described, for me, there are some even greater historical events that I remember even more vividly and that I could talk to you about all day. Those events aren't globally known. They're known by me, one or two others in my family. One of those dates is the 23rd of September, 2006. On the 23rd of September, 2006, Becca and I got married at St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. And I remember that day vividly. Again, balmy sunlight, lovely, warm day. And our friends and family crammed into the church there. And we were married. It was a glorious time. And that event changed my life. It changed my life. It set me on a course along with my wife and my future family that I'm on today. I could tell you about another event that changed my life that many of you might not know about. That event happened on the 20th of July, 2013. After three or four days up at New Cross Hospital, my wife gave birth to our first child, Phoebe. And I'll never forget that event. That event has changed my life. I became a dad. 
And it changed me. How many of you understand that that can change a person? And so these events, though they're not known by many people, these events, have, I would say, have a larger impact on me than global events that I described earlier. Why is that? Well, because the more direct of an impact that an event has on your life, the more significant that event is to you. Does that make sense? You know, the, the more personal an event is to you, the more significant it becomes to you. The more you cherish it, the more you remember it, the more you rejoice in it. And it's my opinion that I think many of us look at the cross dispassionately. We look at the cross and we don't necessarily feel anything about it. But that's because I don't think we always have a clear idea of how that cross 2,000 years ago directly impacts us on a personal level. I think if we knew how personal the cross was to us as Christians, it would become infinitely more significant to us. Because firstly, I'm going to run through four facts about the cross. Four facts about the cross. And my hope is, my hope is that by the end of this, you're going to be able to look at that event just like I look at my wedding day. Just like I look at the birth of my first child and I go, do you know what? That, that event changed me forever. That's my hope. By the end of the today, nobody's going to be able to look at the cross just as a bare historical event. Nobody's going to be able to look at the cross as something that Jesus did for everyone else but not you. You're going to look at the cross and go, that changed me. That changed something about me that will never be the same again. And I want to start off in the right place by saying that the cross and the death of Jesus Christ actually happened. It actually happened in history. It's become popular these days on TikTok and Instagram, social media, to say really stupid things. I include myself in that. I've said some dumb stuff on social media. How many of you have done the same? Don't lie. Every hand should be up. But some dumb stuff gets said, doesn't it, about Jesus? Oh, he never really existed. You know, Jesus was just invented by the Romans. When Constantine came in as the emperor, he invented Christianity in order to control people. Have you heard that one before? Jesus never existed. Or they say if he did, he was just some kind of traveling politician slash teacher. He never died on a cross. In fact, that's what the Quran says. If you read the Quran, it says Jesus never died. He never. Let me tell you this. Jesus literally died on a cross historically. 2,000 years ago, there or thereabouts, a man named Jesus went to the cross and was killed by the Romans. In fact, I'll read you a quote from an atheist just to prove my point. This is an atheist scholar called Bart Ehrman, and he says, the crucifixion of Jesus by the Romans is one of the most secure facts that we have about his life. So make no mistake, Christianity is not a faith that's built on fables and mysticism. It's a faith built on historical events, on things that have actually happened in history. Are we agreed on that, brothers and sisters? Amen. Secondly, not only is the cross a historical event, but it's also, it's also an act of love. The cross is an act of love. And more than that, Scripture tells us Jesus didn't just go to the cross to show us something about love or self-sacrifice, 
But the Bible says something peculiar. It says he went to the cross and died for the sins of people. He died for the sins of the world. It's become fashionable again, just like the whole idea that Jesus never existed. Another fashionable thing to say, sadly for many people that should know better, it's fashionable to say that you know Jesus never died because of sin. He never died bearing the sins of the world. You know, God didn't send his son into the world and brutally kill him because of the sins of people. It's become fashionable to say things like that. In fact, a a bishop was found saying that just the other day. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't take people's sins upon himself. He wasn't a a substitute for sin. He died as an example of self-sacrifice. It's become popular to say that sort of thing. Or to say that the idea of Jesus dying as a substitute for your sins is a modern invention. It's something those horrible Calvinists made up because they're all depraved and weird. Actually, it runs right back to the scriptures themselves and deep into church history. Let me read you a quote by Eusebius, who was a Christian leader in the fourth century. He says this, The Lamb of God was chastised on our behalf and suffered a penalty he did not owe, but which we owed because of the multitude of our sins. And so he became the cause of the forgiveness of sins because he received death for us. You see this this language of Jesus taking something that was yours and you receiving something that was his and transferred to himself the scouring, the insults and the dishonor which were due to you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's what the words of the Apostle Peter say in 1 Peter 2, 24. And when you hear those words, does it remind you of another passage, maybe? Another passage written many hundreds of years before Peter's time. It's Peter's own little micro version of the words found in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 53. Verses 4 to 12, which reads, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he'd done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Are you hearing this? He shall bear, carry up your iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This was written 800 years before Jesus ever set foot on this earth. But when you read that, it reads like a book from the New Testament, doesn't it? The Jews today argue that this wasn't about Jesus, but a first century Jew by the name of Peter said that it was. Jesus is the suffering servant that Isaiah wrote about all those years before Jesus ever came to the world. He's writing about Christ. Now listen, if Jesus bore your sin, if Jesus bore your griefs, if Jesus bore your sorrows, that's great news. Because it means that you don't have to. It means you don't have to any longer. How many of you ever felt the burden upon your back of sin? Many of you have got incredible testimonies of coming to Christ. And you were like Christian in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. You read about that? He carried a burden on his back. And that burden was wearisome for him. That burden wore him down. It tired him out. He wanted to get rid of him. And the only way to get rid of the burden was through Christ. Many of us know that burden of sin upon your shoulders. Many of you know the burden of grief. Of how grief tarries. Grief pops up on you unexpectedly. And grief can tarry long. Many years. Sometimes even decades. But listen, if you today believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this word says that he carried your griefs. It may be you've got to walk in that grief for some time. But this word means that you've got a friend who will stand with you under that burden and carry it with you. He bore your sins. He bore your shame. He bore your iniquities. He bore your sorrow so that you don't have to. Thirdly, I want to say this. This is the most important thing of what I want to say tonight. Is that when you look at the cross, you ought to be seeing Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Hopefully, you'll be able to see, I see Jesus dying for my sin. That's my hope tonight, is that you could say, he died for me. Not just he died for some, but he died for me. But also, when you look at that cross, I want you to see something else. I want you to see yourself up on there. I want you to, because not only did Jesus die 2,000 years ago on a cross, but Paul says all those who belong to Christ, they died then too. Romans 6, 2 to 8. How can we who died, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into 
death. Any of you hearing this tonight, you were baptized into a death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. When? When was your old self crucified? 2,000 years ago with Christ. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. <coughs> Excuse me. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. So when I look at the cross, I don't just see the death of my Lord. I don't just see the death of a man who died for sin. I see the death of Graham Phillips on that tree. I see the death of my old self who lived for himself, who lived for passions and pleasure and all the things of this world. I look at the cross now and I see Graham Phillips up on that tree just as well as I see Jesus Christ. When you look at the cross tonight, will you see yourself on there? Will you be able to say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can you say those words? I want to say those words. I don't want to live for myself anymore. Because I died. The old self, the old me with all the carnal desires that this world offers, that Graham is gone. That version of you, if you're in Christ tonight, is gone. It died with him on the tree. Fourthly, the cross is your power for righteous living. So many of us miss this, don't we? We see the power of the cross in terms of getting us over the line from being a non-Christian to being a Christian. And that's where we leave it, isn't it? That's often all we think that the gospel is useful for is to get somebody saved. But I want to say tonight that the cross is also the very power that you need to follow Jesus in this life. It's more than just a contract to get you over the line to be a Christian. It's the very power that infills you and enables you to live for Jesus in this world. It's not in you, it's in him. And by virtue of the fact that he's died with you, and in some senses as you, as the substitute, it's from his cross that we get the power to live for him today. Peter says that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Peter connects Jesus bearing your sins in his body. He connects that idea with the idea of living for righteousness and dying to sin. And he says, by his wounds you've been healed. Now the healing he's talking about here is not a physical healing. It's actually a healing from sin. The same way that Isaiah 53 talks about it. It's a healing from sin by 
his wounds you've been healed, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. You see, your power for following Jesus in this life is not within your will, it's not within your power, but it's within Christ's power. It's within his sacrifice on the cross. When Paul is talking to the Roman believers, there's this big argument that he builds all the way through chapter 5 and chapter 6. It's some of the most incredible writing in all of the Bible. His writing is all to say this, that if you are a Christian tonight, you are united with Christ in his death, in his resurrection, in his new life, in his holiness, in his power. The cross is power for your living. And Paul says in Romans 6, reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. So yes, if you're in Christ, you died on that cross. Your old self was put to death in that moment. It only became real when you trusted in Jesus Christ. You must believe on him. However, Paul says something else. He says it's more than just getting over the line and trusting Jesus. It's more than just getting over the line and saying, yep, he died for my sins. You actually have to reckon yourself to be dead with him to sin. In your head, reason that I died to sin. How can a dead man feel temptation? How can a dead man fall under temptation to sin? A dead man feels nothing. That's why Paul says, reckon yourself to be dead. It's something we've got to carry before us. The gospel is something that is supposed to be our everyday food as a Christian. It's not something that we're supposed to get past and move on. The gospel is our daily bread. We look to the cross and we don't just see a man. We don't just see our Lord, but we see our Lord with us. The old self nailed to that tree. It's our power for living. Calvin says that when he says that Christ suffered, that we being dead to sins should live to righteousness, Peter intimates that there is power in Christ's death to put to death our flesh. I like that. There's power in Christ's death to put to death our flesh. How many of you still live with flesh? How many of you still live with temptation? How many of you still live with difficulties in this life? How many of you have to get over yourselves on a daily basis? Well, Peter says, the power for doing that is not in you. You're not the hero in this story. It's in Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, we don't need to look within. We don't need to look within and either beat ourselves up about our performance or congratulate ourselves about our performance. Both of those two things are dangerous, aren't they? When we either get congratulatory, oh, I'm doing such a great job today, Lord, or we become self-depreciatory, say, oh, I'm dreadful, oh God. Both of those things work against us. We're to look to the cross. Amen. Let me say something finally. This may be a little bit controversial. If you're saved at all, tonight, you must be saved by works. Now before you chase me out the building as a heretic, let me explain. You are saved by works, but they're not your own. You're saved by the works of one man. The works of Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, his life. His glory, you're saved by his works and his works alone.
And if you tonight will believe and trust in that fact, his work on your behalf, his bearing up of your sins on that cross, this Bible says you shall be saved. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Let's stand.